Hey all and welcome back to the Warrior Monk Podcast. It is the end of March and the COVID-19 virus is in full sweeping effect across the United States. Everyone seems to be handling it in their own respective way. Guidance is being put out, but I certainly hope that you, your friends, family, and loved ones are all staying healthy, staying happy, and taking care of themselves and each other. This is an unprecedented event, so I just hope everyone out there is doing their best to not add to the situation, doing proper protocols for social distancing, etc., 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 and hope that you guys are doing okay. I think this episode of the podcast was really great. I got to sit down with a very old friend of mine, Lee Noto. She is a sensuality specialist and intimacy coach. She and I go way back. Our parents were actually friends. We'll go a little bit into our past history in the discussion, and I'll let you guys get around to it. But we talked about some very relevant topics when it comes to the military community and dealing with reconnecting when you're separated by space and distance, which may be even more important right now during the COVID-19 incident going around the world because people are having to remotely communicate and do it over distance for the sake of social distancing and trying to avoid spreading the virus. And I think uh, we brought up some really good top talking points and I think she had some a wealth of information and really good um, perspective to bring to the table based on her experience. So I hope you guys really enjoy it. Uh, before uh, we go into the discussion, I just want to say a quick shout out to Spotter, the guys at Spotter Up. Uh, if you guys haven't been to Spotter Up, they're an awesome uh, multimedia company putting out all sorts of content, uh, reviews of gear, uh, their own podcast going on. They have awesome shirts. Uh, their social media account gives me motivation on the regular. And they're a great group of guys. I've been having an awesome opportunity to get some mentorship from them here with the Warrior Monk Podcast. And I'm happy to say that they are now hosting the Warrior Monk Podcast on their website. So go check out spotterup.com, S-P-O-T-T-E-R-U-P.com. And click around the website and see what they got. They got some awesome shirts, awesome uh, coffee mugs, things of that nature. And I click on the podcast button and you can find us there as well as uh, their podcast as well. Also, guys, before we get into this uh, discussion, just please, if you have the chance, go to our socials, go to Facebook, go to Instagram, the Warrior Monk Podcast, give us a like, go on to Spotify or onto Apple Podcasts and give us a review. Your input is greatly appreciated and share it, tag it, help me spread the word and uh, give me some feedback on the podcast. And before we go into the interview, I just want to put a disclaimer out that some of the topics of discussion in this recording are adult and sexual in nature. And if you have anyone younger in the room, you may want to stop uh, and possibly listen to it at a later date. All right. Just a little discretion. Enjoy the recording. All right, guys. Welcome back to the Warrior Monk Podcast. I am very excited to have Lee Noto on the podcast today. Lee and I go back a very long time. Our parents were friends in South Florida way back in the day, and I still think they catch up on on stuff every once in a while. Um, But Lee has been on her own journey uh, since I've been in the military doing her own thing as an intimacy coach and sensuality specialist. And my mom actually was like, I wasn't really following what you were doing. And my mom was like, you know, you should check out what Lee's up to. And I started started following you and hearing some of the stuff that you've you've been saying on your live streams and stuff like that and definitely some things connected and resonated so I was super excited to reach out to you 
and I thought it's a great kind of way to balance out some of the stuff for the Warrior Monk podcast, since a lot of our people we interact with are veterans in the veteran community to reach out to someone who's not from the battle space of the outside world, but the battle space of the of the heart and the soul. So, yeah, welcome to the podcast, Lee. Thank you. It is such a pleasure to be here, and it's great seeing you again yeah, after you years. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, so I have to tell a little story real quick. I didn't bring this up before we started recording, but I do remember being a little boy and spending the night at y'all's house at one point, and... I'm pretty sure you had a, a girlfriend over, like, at your at your house, and you guys, like, poured, like, shower gel or shampoo or something in in my clothes, in my bag, and I oh, remember no. being emotionally distraught as, like, a oh, six- or seven-year-old no. little boy. That was probably so traumatizing. <laughs> oh, no! I look back on it and laugh hysterically now, but as just such a funny moment to be like a little boy being like these stupid girls and their cooties and they're picking on me. <laughs> yeah, man, we we started young. Uh, yes, yes. Did, did we paint your nails? Uh, you might have tried. I don't believe that you did, but I oh, know man. there was an attempt. Wow. Well, uh, I'll have a fruit basket sent to you immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, recompense. Awesome. Love it. I just had to, I had to tell that little bit of a story to embarrass myself and maybe you a little bit as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so kind of like, please give us a little bit of an intro on you and your experience as a, as an intimacy coach and please feel free to delve back into it as, as far back as you want to go. Sure. So one of the first questions I get asked when people hear about the work that I do and how I serve is, how did you find yourself here? Mm. And it does go back a very long way for me. I have memories as early as three or four years old with a certain kind of knowing that there was something different about how I viewed the world as it relates to how our bodies function and feel and as it relates to sexuality and sensuality. Now, at the time, as a four or five-year-old, I didn't know these words. I wasn't aware of these concepts but I knew that there was something different about me. And with time, as I you know, grew into my teen years and early adult years, as I learned about sexuality, I then realized that there was a different kind of curiosity and predilection that I had for how we respond and react in intimate situations. And so, From the time of of being a a young girl, I was always very curious, and as kids are. All kids, I think, are very curious and experiment and play and ask, how does this work? What does this button do? Mm, It's a shame we lose that, isn't it? It's, well, it's, uh, I think it's sometimes conditioned out of us. Yeah, I agree with that. And so I was very curious as a kid, and I, I pushed a lot of buttons, literally and metaphorically, and very early on, I found that there was um, a dichotomy that I formed in my own sexual experience, one road leading to pleasure and something that felt very natural for me, and another road leading to shame Mm. and hiding. And so I, I see a lot of people now that have that dual world internally when it comes to their sexuality and sexual expression. And so, flash forward, I mean, I had a number of different experiences as a teen and a young adult, and I 
very cosmically found myself as a, a, a young woman um, learning and diving very deeply into the world of sacred sexuality, Tantra, and various other forms, and, and studied with a teacher for two years in a very intense apprenticeship. And as soon as I arrived there, I, I knew that I was home. Hmm. I was home in some way, in my body, in reclaiming my own power, and in sharing with others how to do that. Mm -hmm. So flash forward to present day, I find myself working with people to reclaim their erotic intelligence and to cultivate it, as well to reconnect to their wild nature, to learn about very pragmatic things like communication and emotional intelligence, and to learn about things like understanding what our needs and desires are and how to share that with others. Very interesting. Yeah, emotional intelligence. That's what us dudes seem to struggle with the most. You know, you'd be surprised. It's not only the dudes. It's yeah, the ladies, too. I believe it. I believe it for some women. I'm sure it is. But it's just, I saw a very funny, um, I guess it was like a meme that was posted. And it was basically a husband and wife go out to eat for dinner. And the wife is describing in detail why he won't talk to me. And I feel like there's something totally wrong. And she's basically analyzing the entire night's list of events of how just there's something completely wrong because he just won't open up and talk to her. And then it's the entire night from the guy's perspective. And he's like, my goldfish died. Not sure why. And that was like the, <laughs> the entire list of like thoughts that was in his head, the culmination compared to his, his wife, his spouse. So it's just, I thought it was a great summary of like how in-depth women can get on emotional analysis and what's going through their mind compared to the, the blank slate of dudes sometimes where it's just like one plus one equals two and I don't really need to think about much else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so that's, I think, a good transitioning point to uh, something I really want to talk about, which is directly correlated to the military community, not just guys, but guys and girls both, and uh, especially for anybody that's mill-to-mill, -mill, meaning, you know, military spouses that are, that is, that are married, is uh, regaining or maintaining intimacy after these long periods of separation. And when, you know, someone goes overseas to deploy or even just goes away on a regular basis for training and things of that nature, and... Um, yeah, how would, how would, in your expertise and in your experience, how would you say a good way to, to kind of maintain it and to reconnect when that mm. sort of thing happens? Yeah, that's a great question. So something I'm finding and that I'm a huge proponent of is taking radical responsibility for self-intimacy and our own turn-on. Mm -hmm. And that will answer the question in, in saying that it's so important and vital to the intimacy of relationships with others that we cultivate and really nurture intimacy and relationship with ourself. And that's where a lot of people, you know, we haven't been taught, but that's where a lot of us miss the mark. And that is where I had missed the mark for most of my life because I was so reliant on there needing to be someone else in the interaction for there to feel like there was any sort of intimacy. Yet we have these rich, vast relationships with ourselves if we're willing to explore that inner realm. And so when we ha create this relationship, when we nurture it, there is a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment in that relationship of one. When that is really being nurtured and taken care of, anything outside of that is a great bonus. Of course, we are beings of 
of connection, so we need those connections with others. And one of the things that can be really helpful to keep in mind, perhaps, for those who are separated for long amounts of time is really keeping that relationship with self strong while away and doing that work individually so that when two partners come back into relationship with one another, they've, I mean, the, the, found, the, the foundation has been laid. Mm-hmm. Then once people come back into relationship, a lot of times, you know, we think that there needs to immediately be a spark. There needs oh to gosh. immediately be fireworks and we need to pick yes. up where we left off. What's really important to remember as well is in order for there to be sustained spark and um, even sexual connection, what a lot of us require but have never had a chance to experience is emotional and psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And so connecting in that way first by catching each other up on what the last few months have been like or what our biggest challenges have been, what our biggest successes have been and starting to fill each other in on the vastness of our individual worlds and then coming together to create, okay, hey, honey, now I'm home. What do what do we want to create together in these next few months? What would really light us up? And starting to create that commonality and that communication as a foundation that then physical and sexual intimacy can be laid on top of and so we're building a strong foundation like a house and you know perhaps the other layers of intimacy are the walls and the roof and things like that Mm -hmm. so you know something I would say is that emotional intimacy emotional closeness and emotional safety are very important in relationships when we're looking to have them in the long term Mm. so you use that term psychological safety and it, to me, that rings so many bells, uh, especially for military members coming back, because you come from a place of not only um, not having physical safety, right, being in a, in a, especially if you're coming from a combat zone, and now coming, you're, you've returned to a, a, basically a physical sp- safe space, you know, coming back to, to the U.S., but yeah, that psychological safety um, doesn't always click, too, especially if you're, if you're dealing with coming back and having seen some stuff or, you know, really dealt with, you know, whether, whether you really want to talk about post-traumatic stress or not, but just having that sense of like when you hear a car backfire or fireworks or a loud bang and not like immediately hitting the deck or things of that nature. So it's interesting that duality of like trying to earn back, you you know, you're in a safe space, whether or not it's subconscious or not, but rebuilding that psychological safe space too. Mm, That's, you know, I'll speak from my personal experience because mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have any military experience. Um, something that I've been noticing happen in my life a lot lately is being called back to early moments in my childhood of trauma, um, emotional and verbal abuse. And it's interesting because some of that is getting triggered now. I'm a grown adult and that those years are seemingly very far behind me. However, um, when there is not an avenue to release or process through trauma, where does it go? Mm-hmm. It gets stored in the body. And so that gets stored in all sorts of ways, be it in our organs, in fat tissue, in various places. And a lot of trauma as well is also you know, stored in the psyche. Um, and so something I'll say in terms of how 
I have had a lot of support from my partner in processing through some of my trauma is that he makes it a point that when something is coming up, he is there with me. And even if it's a conflict between him and I, um, we have created enough space and conversation so that he can pause in, you know, defending his turf in conflict or me defending my turf in conflict and needing to argue a point and he'll get really curious and say, hey, what's coming up for you? What are you feeling right now? What sensations are arising in your body? You know, when's the last time you remember feeling this way? Mm -hmm. And he gets super curious about what's happening for me because most of the stuff that comes up for me is from my childhood. Mm -hmm. And I imagine this would be the case with folks in the military that a lot of what's coming up for them is from some of the things that they've seen or experienced. And so having that curious partner can really provide a lot of emotional and psychological safety. And I think for a lot of us guys coming back, we constantly want to be the tough guy and we're scared to and use the word scared loosely, but we don't want to open up that vulnerability piece to our mm. spouses a lot of the times or to our significant others because we don't want to seem weak or we don't want to seem like we're damaged. And it's, it's still, I mean, it's a thing that comes up now. We don't like calling it post-traumatic stress disorder, which by definition, it's not a disorder. It's a mental state that happens. It's from post-traumatic stress. But even like us calling it disorder, a lot of guys hate that term because there's an an assumption that you're broken, Mm. right? That you're born with it. And it's really not. It's something that happens over the course of of an experience that you have that sets an imprint, you know, in your your brain and affects your your behavior and the way that you think. So I think that's that that, that concept that um, it's okay, like open up to your partner. It's that's, that's why they're there. But, you know, sometimes it's harder for some than others. Oh, uh, I know. And even as a, a woman, I had a very, very hard time opening up mm-hmm. in all of my relationships. I mean, across the board, categorically. And it was because I didn't allow myself to receive and, and have support and be in a place of emotional safety. Um, But I have an analogy for this one. And this can really sort of show some of the trivial nature of what we're talking about. And that is, okay, so let's imagine we're in New York City, for example. And if anybody's been to New York City, you know that it works on a grid system. Mm -hmm. So you go from First Street all the way up to the hundreds, numerical order. Very easy to navigate New York. Now, if you're at 14th Street, and you want to get to 23rd Street, then you know that you just walk a few blocks north. Mm -hmm. However, if you want to get to 23rd and you haven't looked up to look at the sign that says you're at 14th, then you have no idea which direction to go in. So you have to first acknowledge, okay, I'm at 14th Street. In order to get to 23rd, I've got to walk north X number of blocks, right? So it's There's no judgment. You're not like, oh my gosh, I'm so ashamed that I'm at 14th Street. This is so bad that I'm at 14th Street. I'm weak because I'm at 14th Street. It's a great analogy, and it actually works perfect for the military community, too, because we we call that terrain association when you're doing map reading. And it always works on a a city environment, but when you're out in in a mountainous or or, um, some sort of natural environment, I mean, if you don't, you're going to get lost. It's bound to happen, Mm -hmm. but you need to learning those skills to reorient yourself and like okay I know the sun is up there I know roughly the time of day it is and I see that mountain feature over there 
and let me reorient myself so I can get back on track. Exactly. But you acknowledge, like, okay, I see the sun is due northwest, mm-hmm. right? So you, there are certain facts that we have to acknowledge in order to get to the destination that we want to go. Mm-hmm. And there's a really big difference between looking at what is objective truth and looking at our story about the truth. Mm-hmm. So if somebody were looking in from a window, what could they say are the objective facts? It is not an objective fact that anyone is weak. That is a subjective evaluation of someone's character, physical strength, etc. And so if the objective facts are, I was deployed and I was away in a combat zone for two years, that is a fact. Mm -hmm. It's, It's quantifiable. Now, the story about some of the things that happened while someone was away, i.e., I now have a hard time being vulnerable, and when I'm vulnerable, that makes me weak, that's a story. Mm -hmm. It's a story about something. And so when we can tease apart the difference between facts and story, it may help to provide a a different perspective. I think that's a great point. Um, So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, so I want to transition a little bit, and it's something I, I brought up in kind of our list of talking points, and it's um, porn and porn addiction, and it's especially relevant because of the military community, uh, because of you know 90% of the military community being guys, and the accessibility of it, and just w- what are kind of your, your thoughts on porn and, and you know addiction and porn addiction specifically, and, and maybe might bring some points up for some people maybe to to kind of self-realization and maybe realize they need to take a step back from certain things. Mm, Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Well, I'll start by sharing that I was an avid viewer of porn for a lot of my sexual life, Mm -hmm. and it was something that I had turned to and I had depended on, especially in my own self-pleasure practice. Um, And in fact, that was almost uniquely what I used for any sort of self-pleasure. Um, and I, I would use porn with partners as well. And there's, you know, there's an element of fun and play to that sure. for sure. It can be a, it can be a tool. Totally, mm-hmm. totally. Um, what I'll say that I observed about myself and that I've heard a lot of my clients say in observation of themselves when using porn, especially very regularly, is that I have experienced a short circuit. So there are various kinds of pleasure that we can experience through sexual activity, various kinds of orgasms of various lengths and uh, strengths, if you will. Um, And what I found was because I had so much stimulation from something outside of me, I almost always drew my attention away from sensations in my body, other than the obvious, very blaring sensations. I almost always drew my attention away from my breath, from any sort of acknowledgement of my internal state because all of my attention was placed on the visual and and auditory stimulation of the porn. Right. And that can be very stimulating and exciting. So I also want to say that I I have no inherent problem with porn, and porn isn't inherently good or bad. It is a thing that exists, Mm -hmm. and it, you know, depends on who's using it and how we're using it. Yeah. So... Um, I found that a lot of my orgasms would become very abbreviated, my breath would be short, and it would be like a half of an experience. Mm. Really, that's what it is. You're you're missing the entire connection piece. Right. So that's one bit. That's what I experienced from, you know, a physical standpoint. What I also found is that I became very dissociated from myself. 
because I could be so focused on this thing outside of me that in fact doesn't really depict reality in terms of how a lot of sexual interactions happen I became very dissociated and detached from my body mm-hmm. and so it um, my my relationship with self was strained during my heavy porn viewing days um, and with that um, I'll also say that um, I became very disillusioned and so because porn is you know, sort of the stand-in sexual education for a lot of people, I very easily was influenced into thinking that the way I needed to show up as a woman in sexual interactions with partners, I mean, it was very much skewed, and I could tell that the partners I was with had a very skewed interpretation of how they needed to show up. Mm -hmm. And there was a certain, you know, and I use this in air quotes, a certain kind of masculinity they needed to depict because of what they, how they saw men perform in porn. Right. And it creates a lot of uh, fracturing in our sense of self, in our sense of other, in our sense of intimacy, in our sense of deep sexuality that's connected to something beyond ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so with porn, you know, I, I wouldn't really ever say that you know, someone should never watch it because if I feel like dipping my toe back in, I do. Uh, but something that has worked really well for me and a lot of my clients is, you know, every so often, take a break from it if, you know, if you can or, you know, every other time or every third time that you're going to self-pleasure um, and just see what it's like to be there without it and sure. use it as an observation. I think that's a great, a great way to look at it and kind of test yourself. Is this you know, why am I really using this? And, you know, if, if you're getting into a place where, like, you need it, then you need to kind of step back and self-assess. Yeah, because what I found a lot of times for me was what I really wanted was connection. Absolutely. I wanted connection, and this was a good shoe-in for connection because I either didn't have a partner mm-hmm. or the partner wasn't available. And, again, going back to my earlier point, even when there is not another physical person to connect with, there is always me to connect with. Sure. I can never leave myself. We can never leave ourselves as much as we might try hmm. sometimes. We are always there with ourselves. And so there's always someone and something within us to connect with. And I'll, I'll share some sort of pro tips, but um, a great way or one practice that I love using in self-pleasure is creating it as a practice. And I say something, yes, as a practice, the way we would practice golf or martial arts. You know, you go back to it and you develop a skill and a relationship with that thing. Masturbation is the same way. Self-pleasure is the same way. We have a vast world inside of us of desire and wants and needs and sensation. There's so much to learn and we sometimes don't learn that when we're always turning to something outside of us. So prior to going into any self-pleasure practice, setting an intention. So I'll give an example of some of mine. Sometimes my intention is to find a new spot on my body that feels great for stimulation before sexual activity. Sometimes my intention is to connect to my own sense of inner power, um, to connect to mm, what really turns me on. So there can be any kind of intention mm-hmm. and setting an intention so that that intention is amplified through the practice. Mm-hmm. And then going into the practice itself the way you normally might 
and then at the end, ending with a gratitude. So what is something about yourself, your body, your sexuality, your partner that you are so grateful for? And the intention and the gratitude create a really nice bookmark so that the practice itself feels like a whole and complete practice. That's very in-depth and uh, a great analysis of it. And thank you for sharing so much on the personal side for that. And I, I know guys are going to listen to this and they'll be like, yeah, my intention is just to get the get the venom out so I can go about my business. But I just I, I just I can hear I hear people that I know already with that that mentality towards it. But yeah, I, hey, you know what? Sometimes that's great. Like, you know, let, and let's like ride that wave for a second. Maybe it's like, yeah, I want to see like how powerful I am. Like the intention can be anything that resonates for the person. Like, yeah, I want to see how long I can last, how many edges I can approach before I release the venom, how many, like, whatever resonates, man, it can be anything, sure, you know? Sure. Um, so you, you mentioned the, the piece on connection, and I, I wanted to, to, to delve into it, because we, we spoke about it briefly before starting rec- recording, but um, dating apps and uh, the swipe, uh, swipe culture mm-hmm. and this, this whole trend now, and me experiencing it myself now in the past year having gone through divorce and going back into the dating world and just kind of self-actualization of like why what am I really doing here why am I doing this and and needing to you know deciding that I need to take a a step back from using that uh, as well Um, what what are your feelings on how this I guess this new trend especially in younger people how it's like affecting their sense of like relationship building and and all that because it really is in my opinion and I don't know if you'll agree with me on but it really is you know, the, the organization or the company that's producing the app, just like so many other pieces of technology now, figuring out ways to keep you hooked in, into it for as long as possible and, yeah. you know, get the membership fee out of you, et cetera, et cetera, and kind of manipulating our some of our baser emotions and instincts uh, in order to monetize it. Yeah, there's, um, I mean, I've used a number of apps myself, though I never thought I would find myself in the world of online dating. I did in the past couple of years. And, you know, I'll, I think I ha- myself became a statistic. Mm-hmm. I fell into the swiping for hours, yeah, though I too. said I never would. And it felt very satisfying in some instances. And there were some instances where it felt so dissatisfying, but I couldn't stop. Mm. And I'm like, oh my God, what is happening? Right. And Again, I'll come back to that word connection. A lot of these apps, some are, I think, position their app in a way that creates a different kind of connection than other apps. Mm. You know, there are certain apps that have certain reputations for the result that comes out of it usually. And everyone is looking for connection. Absolutely. Everyone wants that way to see and be seen, to be heard, to feel understood. And people really want to be able to do that with other people as well. So Mm -hmm. they want to be seen, they want to see, they want to feel understood, they want to understand. And something that I found as a personal experience in using the apps was my attention span became very short for how I interacted with people. So I'll use myself as sort of a guinea pig in this case because I thought I was above all of this. (laughs) No, sir, I was not above any of it. Um, And... I found that my attention span became short. It was very easy to ghost people. It was easy to sort of fall off the face of the earth and not write someone back if I suddenly became disinterested. 
And people would do that to me as well. Mm. And, you know, I don't know that anyone's above it. But what I really wanted was connection. And in some cases, I was able to find genuine connection, and in other cases, not. Um, But what I've seen as a a pretty standard trend is that people's attention span has really decreased. Uh, People's level of authenticity, you know, I think is a bit lesser now than we've traditionally seen in the past. Um, and it's become a very performative type of experience yeah, I agree where with you've that. got three lines to prove someone mm-hmm. of your quote unquote worthiness mm. so that they will swipe right on you. Right. You've got to put the best pictures up. You've got to get the best angles or <laughs> take a picture with the dog because she's going to love the dog. <laughs> why does it, why do we have to bring the dogs, get the dogs involved? Let the you dogs know? just be dogs. It's the dogs funny. are like the best wingmen. Well, the, the dog, it's funny. I had this conversation with someone the other day. It's They were kind of going into an existential crisis on like how bad humanity is and how bad we're screwing up the world. And and, and I, I don't agree disagree with a lot of what they're saying. But I said one thing is that well, I promise will always be around is the dogs are going to be around because they've manipulated us so well that we, we even promote them through like our dating apps and I mean, whenever there's a colony on Mars, I'm sure we're going to have space dogs out there, too. Yeah. So wherever we go, the dogs will be there, too. There are dogs with Instagram accounts with, like, yes. hundreds of thousands of followers. Yes, it's, it's ridiculous. Like... <laughs> but I love it at the same time because I'm a dog lover, so I can't really hate on it. Yeah. Um, so moving on again, um, have you read Sex at Dawn? Yeah. What's your... So I, I read it. It was very timely. I read it while I was deployed um, right before my divorce, so it was started I mean I, I read it because of other people that I was I'm influenced by that were uh, that had read it and uh, had started to do their own experimentation with open relationships and that's not something that I've really delved into but it's just kind of changing I guess a lot of people's perspectives on the traditional traditional marriage situation and, and I think it goes about it in a great a great way especially for me, coming from a scientific standpoint, it's always, I like to assess things from an analytical standpoint and viewing us as sexual beings and and viewing our closest relatives like chimpanzees, bonobos, and gorillas, mm-hmm. the, the, the great apes, and how, basically how they do it and why they do it and trying to compare it, make some comparisons onto what we do, uh, I think is really fascinating and, and makes makes you ask a lot of questions and kind of maybe self-assess a little bit too once you have a better understanding of some of those pr- more primordial and, and primal instincts of why we do some of the stuff we do. So I would love to hear your take on the book. Yeah, okay. So that book was one of the first books I had ever read that opened my world and my mind to something outside of the construct of monogamy mm-hmm. or traditional monogamy as we've been practicing it. And I've read many books and have done a lot of research and listened to plenty of podcasts since on that topic and related topics and it even had a relationship that we practiced in open construct where he and I were primary partners Mm -hmm. and then we had secondary partners. Mm -hmm. Here's what I'll say. So yes, I, you know, science in this book and in, in many other works looks at our, um, our, instinctual way of having desires and wanting novelty and looking for things outside of a monogamous long-term relationship. Um, When I was in my open relationship and when I think of 
relationships now and the relationship that I'm in, um, something that I ask people when they come to me and they're considering an open relationship and they want to have a space to look at those things is, what is the intention Mm -hmm. for this? What is the motivation behind it? And to really get clear in understanding why you're making that choice. Now, I'm not at all saying that monogamy should be the standard construct because I myself have a lot of desires and I'm very curious and and love flirting and love interacting with others. Mm -hmm. Um, What I've seen so many times, though, is that people have turned to open relationships without really understanding what they were getting themselves into. If we think that we need to invest a lot of time and energy into one relationship, imagine managing two. Oh, yeah. And when, when this is being done in a very intentional way where there is a lot of communication, then, you know, not only do you have one other person's energy in the mix, but you have two people's energy in the mix. So listen, I'm not saying I would never practice another open relationship again. My piece of solicited or unsolicited advice is to really get clear on what's happening in relationship to yourself Mm -hmm. and in relationship with your partner And is there a strong foundation for open communication? Is there a strong foundation for feedback? Um, Is there a strong foundation for how you deal with conflict? And what are the practices around that? What are the protocols? And is that in place to to open the relationship and to welcome other partners into the construct? And what happens if there is conflict and you want to part ways? Are you prepared to do that? Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of, you know, not semi-related to the book, but I've seen a lot of people create open relationships and it becomes a hot mess. And then I've also seen people do it very conscientiously. Really? And when I've spoken to them, they've always said it takes a lot of intentionality, oh, a yeah. lot of focus, a lot of attention. And if that's something you're game for, do it totally um and if it's not then don't do it or you'll find out really quickly that it's a lot to handle um another book that i'd recommend on that topic if anyone interested is listening is interested in in looking at these different constructs is um opening up mm-hmm. by tristan taramino interesting i'll have to look it up and um tristan talks about all of the different setups that you can have in open relationships mm-hmm. Uh, because there are many different ways of going about it other than the sort of free-for-all or don't ask, don't tell kind of setup where right. you're doing stuff on your own but not coming back to talk about it. Right. Um, so that's another great book that really sort of expands on the subject. Interesting. I'll have to look it up for sure. Um, so I'm going to go a little bit into the things I, I typically ask all the, the guest speakers on the Warrior Milk podcast. and. One of them is who was influencing you or who you're reading and kind of uh, anything you might want to put out there that's really affecting your mindset or uh, mentoring you or anything of that nature right now. Yeah. Mm, This is a good one. The first couple of people I thought of in terms of who's influencing me, one, my partner. Um, I I am super, super fortunate to to have created a relationship with someone who holds such a sacred space for me to expand and grow into the fullest version of myself. And there is such a beautiful 
give and take in the relationship and I learn a lot about him, a lot about myself, a lot about our relationship and the world around us through our interactions. Our partners are definitely mirrors for us, mm-hmm. you know, as is everyone else. Um, I've been learning a lot from myself lately, actually, as I've been diving into some really deep exploration and journaling and artwork and really uncovering a lot of that, a lot of things, you know, a lot of things that I knew were there, but were kind of laying dormant. And then as far as works that I'm following, teachers, mentors, guides, I'm really, really interested in the work right now of Esther Perel. Mm-hmm. And she is huge in the space of, uh, she's a you know world-renowned psychotherapist and um, relationship, sex, love, guide, expert, I would call her. Um, so Esther Perel, um, I'm learning a lot uh, from a book called Wild Power which is all about harnessing the spiritual practice of our menstrual cycles. So even for the the fellas listening, if you find yourself in a heterosexual monogamous relationship, even though it seems like this might not be for you, knowing about your partner's cycle will radically transform your relationship. And I can't say that enough because there are so many things that happen inside of a woman's body throughout all parts of the cycle, a.k.a. all the time. And for a partner to be in sync with that and to be able to know what's happening sets the relationship up for, I mean, I think higher chances of success, uh, intimacy, communication, and and relationality. Um, So that's another work that I've been following very closely right now. You hear that, guys? Start asking more questions. Figure it out. What was the name of the book again? <laughs> wild Power. Wild Power. Guys, look up Wild Power. And I'm going to caveat on that, too. I'm starting to take my, extend my fitness journey more into coaching and stuff like that. If there's any male coaches out there who are dealing with female athletes and you're not aware of their menstrual cycles, mm. you need to be. Because that has a huge influence on them as athletes as far as when their cycle is and how it affects their ability to perform and everything of that nature too, even even from a sports psychology perspective. So if there's any guy coaches out there, pay attention to that stuff. You need to know it. So true. So true. And then I think just from a general perspective, um, really digging the work of Kyle Cease, Matt Kahn, um, other teachers in that realm who just have a beautifully digestible way mm. of sharing deep universal truths. Awesome. I love it. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to do one more question, and then um, what does being a warrior monk mean to you? When you hear the term warrior monk, what what comes in your mind? What, what how, Where does your imagination go? Okay. The first place my imagination went is to courage. Mm. Courage and bravery. And that those words have a lot of different meanings for, for people. And one of the places that that courage and bravery starts is within. And so to be a warrior and to be a monk requires a lot of courage, bravery, persistence in exploring our internal world. And when we allow ourselves that space to explore our internal world, the way we interact in the world outside of us is is drastically different. And so having the courage to go inward in the sense that a warrior might be on the battlefield going outward is, I think, the, the quintessential um, undertone of, of that, of the, 
that word combination for me. Mm-hmm. And then the monk component of it is, can we acknowledge, can we be at peace with what we see when we're in the internal battlefield, as it feels sometimes? What do we do when we come up against some of those, um, you know, sometimes it feels like inner opponents. Sometimes it feels like inner enemies. But what do we do when we come up against those parts of us? You know, is there a space to see them, acknowledge them, accept them, perhaps even love those parts of us? Because in that, we create the integration within ourselves. And that, I think, is the the quintessence. I like that word. But that's the quintessence of what I think a warrior monk is. Having that inner bravery and courage and then letting that reflect in in how we create the world outside of ourselves. That's awesome. I love your perspective on it. Um, so we're actually getting low on my on my computer's battery here. We're, we're, we're doing this from, for the first time ever, the Warrior Monk podcast is being recorded inside of an SUV. Um, since I'm on the road here in Austin, but um, please, for anybody out there who wants to know more about you and wants to connect with you, uh, explore more of your content, get a chance to, to have any kind of coaching for intimacy sensuality please give us where can people find you sure so the best places to find me are at my website which is leenoto.com l-e-e-n-o-t-o.com i'm on facebook as leenoto instagram at leenoto underscore and then you can always drop me a note email me at hello at leenoto.com awesome Lee, thank you so much for your time. It was great to catch up with you. You put a huge smile on my face. And uh, please say hello to your mom and dad for me. And <laughs> we got to make sure we get a picture to send our Yes, too, say hello well. to your mom. It's such an honor to be here. I'm so glad we got to do this. Yeah, me too. All right, thanks again. All right, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. A great conversation with Lee Noto. Again, thanks to her so much for her time and her energy and her effort in making that connection happen and getting that recording done. It was a little bit unorthodox to do it uh, in in the, the front seat of a, of a rental vehicle, but when traveling the road and trying to fit lots of things into our busy daily lives, you do what you do to make what you want to make happen, happen. Guys, please go check her out. Go check out leenoto.com, L-E-E-N-O-T-O. Check her out on Facebook, leenoto, and on Instagram, at leenoto underscore. If you got questions, you to have concerns, you may be thinking that you and your significant other maybe want to be reaching out to work on some, some personal things, you want to work on extending uh, certain aspects of your relationship, reach out to her. She is an awesome person, and she is a wealth of knowledge and experience. Guys, thank you so much for listening into the podcast. Please, if you have the time, make the time, please, if you don't mind, to go to Spotify or to Apple, leave us a review of this podcast or a review for other episodes you've listened in the past. Please find us on Facebook or at Instagram at the Warrior Monk Podcast and leave us a comment or a direct message. Share it with a friend, family member, fellow vet, et cetera, et cetera. It means a great deal to me and it helps the podcast move forward and helps us promote through your effort. I really appreciate it. Just as I said in the intro, guys, please stay healthy. Please stay safe. Avoid all this COVID-19 craziness. Make sure you're washing your hands well. Make sure you're social distancing. All that stuff. And look forward to more content from the Warrior Monk podcast in the future. This is Lance signing out.